sure enjoyed this series. I hope it's been a great encouragement to your life as we have better understood who the Spirit of God is and the role that He has in each one of our lives. And already in our series, we've considered just that. We've considered who He is and what He does in the life of a believer, how He convicts men of sin and illuminates God's truth. We've considered how He indwells God's children and as He seals us for the day of redemption. And sadly, we've also seen in our series what it looks like when God's people limit His work in their life, either by quenching or grieving the Spirit of God or possibly by denying or rejecting His work in our life. With all of that that we've already considered thus far, this morning, I want us to consider very simply, what does it look like to be led by the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to be led by the Holy Spirit? Someone has once said that our life is filled with a series of choices, and we make our choices, and in turn, they make us. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, that you and I, every day of our life, are making choices. A number of months ago, my granddad sent me an article, and the title of the article was that you and I, on average, make 30,000 decisions a day. 30,000 decisions. So many of those decisions are honestly almost unconscious in terms of part of our habits and our rhythms and things that we choose, while others are much more conscious and, and when we think about being led in life and being led by the Spirit of God, I would say, if it's true in your life, as certainly it is true in mine, that one of the greatest anxieties that happen in our life in terms of being led is when we come to a decision to be made and we don't know how to make that decision. It really, indecision in of itself is one of those anxieties in life. How many of you are wrestling through a decision right now and you're in a series of indecision? Can I see your hand? Either big or small. And sometimes the larger the, the decision, right, the greater that it, the decision has a way of shaping the course of our life, the greater the anxiety, the greater the, the fear associated with it. Yet we can struggle with anxiety of indecision uh, just over even some of the smallest and simplest things in life. This past week, my wife and I uh, had to say goodbye to our dearly beloved furry friend. Uh, Zeke uh, passed away early this week. And it was, I didn't realize the death of a pet, uh, what that would mean, but I must really have loved that dog because I took it exceptionally hard uh, when he passed away. And uh, as my wife told me, she says, probably one of the steps in the grieving process is insanity. So we decided to get another dog because I, I just didn't really know how to cope with not having Zeke. And so uh, this past week, my wife and I got a little Irish setter doodle and uh, we've been wrestling all week long with a name. And we've called him about 50 things in the house, you know. And, uh, and, and, and it's one of those decisions that we're having a series of indecision with what we're going to call the dog. And it seems so minute and simple. And yet, uh, there are other decisions in life that are much more complex and much more weighty. And as I think about a topic like this this morning of what does it look like to be led by the Spirit of God, instantly this week I had to kind of remove from my mind all the garbage and junk that somehow within the church we say, that we say because it's a Christian phrase or it's a cliche, but we don't really understand what it means or really what it looks like to get applied into our life. Because when we ask the question, 
We all would affirm, I think, as a Christian, that we're led by the Spirit of God. Do you believe that this morning, yes or no? Oh, that was, maybe I need to back up. Maybe we need to start there. No, do you believe that the Spirit of God leads the Christian? Do you believe that? Say amen. I mean, the Bible is really clear about that, that all that are the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. So in order to be a part of God's family, the mark of God's family is that you and I are led by the Spirit. If you are a born-again Christian this morning, the Holy Spirit of God is leading you. Can you turn to your neighbor and tell him he is leading you? I mean, if you are a follower of Christ, that must be true of you because the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that, uh, that those who are children of God uh, live life um, are led. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, which means that only those that are led by God's Spirit are God's children. But I want you to back up and think about your Christian experience for just a minute. How many decisions in life have you used the phrase or something similar, the Holy Spirit of God led me to, or sometimes we'll say, I felt impressed by, or I felt led, whatever the word is, I think probably the greatest one in in the Christian circles is simply that one phrase, the Holy Spirit of God led me to and fill in the blank. And I don't know if you have ever been on the like the receiving end of that question, but it's one of those things that like in the realm of human communication, like the person just took the conversation to another level. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's nothing that you could possibly say. All, All forms of regular argument are thrown out the window. The minute that person says, the Holy Spirit of God led me, and then boom, you know, it's like if you've ever been on the breaking up, the breaking up, the break up of like a Christian date and the, the, you know, the Holy Spirit of God led me and you're just like, what else can I, like, come on, like, you can't give me anything else. Like, you can't, you can't give me any, like, like, you're just going to end it there, you know? And the thing is, and I, here's what I want to say. I, I want to affirm and say, I'm just wrestling with where I've been this week as I've studied. I want to wrestle and say that I agree with you, that I affirm that. That I, I can see that, and in my life too, I, I feel like I have had experiences where I might have said something very similar. But then again, sometimes we use that phrase in certain sense, and we would not use it in another sense. And the whole question this morning I want to really clearly ask is how does the Holy Spirit of God guide us? How does the Spirit of God lead us. And I trust that this morning you've opened your Bible to the book of Galatians. Would you stand there with me this morning? We're considering what does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God. And and my question to you right from the outset, as we're going to unpack how the Spirit of God guides us and how He leads us, I first want to ask you the very first question on the outset of the message this morning. And the simple question is this, are you being led? Are you being led? Because if you are, in fact, a child of God, the Holy Spirit of God, as uh, our helper, is leading you. That's the first question. Is the Spirit of God leading you? Is He shaping your life? Is He guiding your life? Is Is He impacting the way that you listen? The way that you love people? and impacting ultimately the way that you live. For that is what Paul is talking about here. In Galatians chapter 5, his whole concern is with how the church of Jesus Christ is living. 
They have professed to know Christ as Savior, but their actions would actually contradict the thing that they have said. And so Paul here, as he's working out the implications of life in the Spirit of God, he writes to the church in Galatia in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Follow with me as I read. Paul says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against or contrary the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit and you're not under the law, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, those who do such things will, say it with me, not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such Things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We're going to ask the question this morning how is a person led by the Holy Spirit? Father, we pray this morning that is your our God, that you have drawn us to yourself. We thank you that you have made possible a way for us to, Lord, know you. You've given us your word. You've sent us your son. And Lord, now you have indwelt us by your spirit. And we thank you for all of those promises. And Lord, what we're asking this morning is that your spirit would be our great teacher. That Lord, he would unpack and show us that we would better discover what it looks like to live in light of the spirit of God and walk in step with him. Lord, we pray that you would do this in our life, that you would open our eyes to truth and that, God, you would help us change and be transformed, that you would set our minds on a different way of thinking and and that in doing so, Lord, we would be free uh, from some of the things in our life that have enslaved us and experience the abundant joy of living life in the Spirit of God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul, you may be seated. Paul is unpacking in this letter to the church in Galatia, he is unpacking for them uh, what it looks like to live life in the Spirit. Actually, earlier in the letter in chapter 3, Paul had used this phrase. He said, you have begun in the Spirit. So what Paul is assuming as he's writing to this church is that this is not a church of of people who do not know Christ, but this is a a church, an ecclesia, a group, a called out gathering of people who have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they've entered into that new relationship. And Paul, as he now is helping this new church understand what it looks like to live life in the Spirit of God, Paul is going to help us as he works through in chapter 5, showing us what this this new relationship is all about. And, and, And what was lacking in the church of Galatia, which I believe is often very much lacking in the church today, is that God's people, uh, you and I, we can live in such a way that our life is not in step with the Spirit of God. 
He actually concludes in chapter 5 by talking about that very thing. Let us live by the Spirit and let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And sadly, I think many Christians in the church today, they have professed to know Christ, but their life is not accompanied with a daily walk. A daily walk where they're keeping in step with the Spirit of God. You see, in chapter 5, Paul is doing a couple things. He is comparing and contrasting for us the life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's doing is he's showing us that there is, there is the life in the Spirit that is contrasted with, notice, the life that is lived in the flesh. Or, as Paul talks about, the works of the flesh, and he contrasts that also with the fruit of of the spirits. Notice with me, beginning in verse 17, notice how Paul describes this, this uh, comparison. He says, for the desires of the, what's the next word? Say it louder. The desires of the what? The flesh are against. They're contrary to the Spirit of God. But notice that the desires of the Spirit are also against. They're contrary to the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you would. And some of us, like, we find ourselves right there in verse 17. Like, every week of our life, there are things that we find ourselves wanting to do, but we just don't do them. We find that we, we, we know that, that, that our life would be so much better spiritually if we were applying some things and living life by faith and showing love to our spouse. And yet, some of us are finding ourselves right there in that constant struggle that, that, that notice what? That we, we, we're, we're we're keeping ourselves from doing the things that we want to do, the things that we ought to do. And Paul says the reason for that as a Christian is actually that your life is in the midst of a spiritual conflict, that, conflict, that your life is not a walk in the park by any means, but it is now as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you've entered into a spiritual warfare and now your life that is lived in and through the Spirit of God is, is against, it's contrary to the flesh. You see, when the word flesh is used in the Bible, it's, it's not just describing your bones and your ligaments and your skin and your blood. It's something far much more deeper inside each one of us. When the Bible speaks about flesh, what it's talking about is your life lived apart from God. A person's life lived apart from God. So I just want you to think just a moment in your life this morning. If it were not for God and the difference that he has made in your life through the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that you've entered into, if it was not for that today, where would your life be? Where would you, what would you find yourself doing and being involved with? Because that's what it looks like, a life lived apart from God. And Paul, notice he says, for the desires of the flesh. It's everything you are minus God. You see, the Bible talks about that before we came to know Christ, our life was characterized by the old man, all right? This Bible, this brown Bible, be the old man. This black Bible, be the new man. The Bible says before you came to know Christ, your life was the old man. It was characterized by sinful desires. It was your life apart from God. This is who you were. The, the, the list that Paul lists there is not an exhaustive list, as he even says in things like these. And so there are certainly many things in our life that we sin and, and we live life apart from God. And the Bible calls that our old nature, or our old man. And the reason we do that is because you and I have a flesh. 
We have these sinful desires that accompany that. And wherever, wherever my old life went, I was constantly influenced by the flesh, by the old way of life. I was under what Paul described in Romans 8. I was in slavery to sin. Like that's the severity of my life apart from God. That there was no freedom in my life. There was no joy in my life. There was no peace in my life. How many of you could raise your hand and say, I've been there? Can I see your hand? And our life was lived apart from God. And the Bible says our old man was corrupted by sin. But what happens when you and I came to know Christ, the Bible says that our old man did what? What happened to it? It dies. And there's a new man that what? That lives. It's the life of the Spirit of God in my life. I'm a new man. I'm no longer who I once was. I've been changed. But you know what? The old man dies. The new man lives. But the flesh, it lingers. And this is what Paul's talking about. Every day of our life, there's this constant struggle between life and the Spirit of God, which God wants us to live, has called us to live, and all the joy that comes through that new way of life. But we constantly battle the flesh. And these two are not even close to one another. (laughs) They're contrary to one another. It's like, have you ever tried to take two separate ends of a big battery and stick them together? They just don't go together. It's like oil and water. They just don't mix. Because why? Because the old life, my sinful nature, my flesh, was all about me. It was all about my life, my ambition, my dreams, the old man. It's all about my pride and my arrogance. But notice when I come to know Christ, the old man dies, the new man lives, but the flesh lingers. And so notice what happens in our life that you and I now find ourselves in this new walk. And our new walk is like torn. Because on every day, there are two forces at work in my life. And this is what the church in Galatia was guilty of. They had known the gospel. They had entered into this new life in Christ. But here's what was happening. And I wonder if maybe it's happening in your life. They were just completely out of step with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God wanted them to walk a certain way, to live a certain way, to to experience a certain kind of life. And just like the church in Galatia, maybe you find it easier to step back into your old way of life, your old patterns of thinking. And we're out of step with the Spirit of God. So notice, how does Paul describe this relationship? Notice, he describes it as a partnership. That there's something happening. Look at me very closely this morning. There's something happening in the life of a believer when they have trusted Christ for salvation and the Spirit of God comes to indwell their life and now they live every day of their life, moment by moment, step by step, walking with the Spirit of God. But notice what Paul describes. He says it's this partnership. It's something that God's doing in your life, but it's also something that you must do. It's we walk in step. We walk in concert with the Spirit of God. Notice, let me explain this. It's going to be a little challenging to see it in our English Bibles, but I think you could work this out and we'll see it. Follow with me. Notice in verse 18, Paul makes the statement. Notice how he explains it. But if you are led by the Spirit, turn to your neighbor and tell him that you're led by the Spirit. 
You're led by the Spirit. Now listen, what does that mean? That word led by the Spirit. Paul is using a certain form in Greek. It is a passive verb. What Paul is saying is that you are being led by the Spirit of God, but it's not something active that you're doing necessarily. It's a passive thing that is happening to you. There's this inward work of the Spirit of God, and what He is doing is He is prompting you. He is pressuring you. He is persuading you. He is directing you. He is leading you. And what is He leading you in? He is leading you to take a step in the life of godliness. That's how the Spirit of God leads us. When the Bible says you are led by the Spirit of God, what it's saying is that there's something that the Spirit of God is doing in our life. He's pressuring you. He's prompting you. He's guiding you. We could even say he's leading you. But what is he leading me to do? He's leading me, as Paul's going to talk about, into a life of godliness, a life of godly living, a life of righteous living. But then notice also, not in verse 18, but back up to verse 16, and notice what Paul says in verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Now the word walk is not passive. It is active. Which means what? What does that mean? You grammarians in the room, what does it mean if it's an active verb that I must walk? What does that imply? It implies what? Come on, talk to me. I got to what? I got to do it, man. I got I to take a step and I got to walk in the Spirit of God. It, it's something active. So do you get what's happening? Paul's describing this. There is something as we're walking in the Spirit, uh, as we're taking steps in the Spirit of God, that's an active thing. And what, he's, what you're being active in is you're taking a step in godliness. You're taking a step to, in that fruit of the Spirit to, to demonstrate the love, the peace, the joy that comes through the Spirit of God. And you're living that out through your life. And, and that's how you're walking in the Spirit. But the Spirit of God is leading you. And how is He leading you? He's, pers- he's pressuring you. He's pressing on you. He's prompting you to take steps in that path of godly living. It- it's both and. It- it's something that God does in our life, and it's something that we also must do. I-, I-, I never had this more clearly aligned for me than when I was on a pastoral visit on the third floor of Norwood Apartments over here in Salem, Virginia. I had gone through seminary. I had gone through undergraduate studies, Matt. I had been in seminary where where people had taught me, you know, this is what it looks like to live life in the spirit. But it always seemed so fuzzy, you know, until I met Miss Marion Thompson. I think I've shared about Miss Marion quite a bit. She had a little tiny apartment. Not her whole room was from that wall to about where I'm standing. She had a little twin bed and a bathroom and a little living space, and a little kitchen, little kitchenette right off here on the side. One of the first times I met that lady, what a mighty lady of faith. She's gone home to be with the Lord earlier this year. And I'd talk to her about life and the Christian life, and she would say to me, she'd say this, she said, Pastor, the devil's in my kitchen. And I did about what you did. I was like, come again? Like, you know, like, there's no exorcist today that's going to happen. I didn't come for this purpose. I came, you know, like, so yeah, no, the devil's in my kitchen. It took me a little bit to catch on what she was talking about. But every day she listened to sermons on her television, which were right in front of her. And she says, every day of my life, when I wake up, she said something like this. She says, I realize I can choose what the devil wants me to do, or I can choose what God's calling me to do. 
but I'm going to make a choice today in what I will do. And I was like, whoa, let's teach that in every Bible college, all right? Devil's in the kitchen. Let's just teach it. Because what it does for people, for you, she didn't let her Christian life, her spiritual life become some heady theological truth, but it was lived out in her life every day. She was making a conscious decision. I'm making a constant choice today. Am I going to follow the Spirit of God? Am I going to live life in the Spirit of God? Am I going to walk in the path of godliness that He has set for me? Or will I allow the devil or my own desires that are being enticed to pull me away? And every day of her life was lived with that type of a constant choice. Because she realized that our choices shape us. Our choices make us. Well, notice what Paul says here. Every day of our life, we're in partnership with the Spirit of God. She would often say it like this, you do your best and God will do the rest. I'll say it again. You do your best and God will do the rest. Can I tell you the problem in Christianity today? Christians aren't doing their best. God will take care of the rest. But Christians aren't doing their best. They're sidestepping what the Spirit of God wants them to do. They are not walking in obedience to the path of godliness that He has laid out for us. Being led by the Spirit of God is far more about walking the path that He has laid out for us rather than hearing some prompting or inner working that you feel like the Spirit of God wants you to do in your life. Uh, let, me, let me picture it like this. How do you know what God wants you to do? How do you live the life that God has for you? The Bible is really clear that the, wor- that the will of God is found in the Word of God. The will of God is found in the Word of God. And the problem is with many Christians today, we're not doing our best because we don't know what God expects because we're not in His Word. We don't know His truth. We're sitting out on the front porch trying to have God to speak to us and He gave you an entire book. He's given you an entire book. He wants you to know what He has said. Just read it. Just read it. But we would rather sidestep the Spirit of God and do our own little thing and live out in the middle of nowhere and just feel like God will somehow like drop a sign from heaven. It's like, man, read your Bible. Read your Bible. I can't tell you the amount of visits or counseling sessions I've had with people that have literally said to me, God led me to... But it's not in accordance with His Word. The will of God is found in the Word of God, and the will of God will never contradict His Word. I've had people tell me that it was God's will for them to marry someone else in an adulterous relationship. But come on now, how how often do we do that? You know, we may not say it, but, but we'll rationalize what God wants us to do. Man, how many of you are parents? Can I see your hand? So we're entering into that almost two stage, right? You can understand, you can identify. Um, you know, the, the new puppy is like two toddlers, all right? Jessica and I were talking the other day. Like when you have a kid, like they're just there. They, they don't move unless you move them. You know where they're at, but now it's like, boom, we got two toddlers running in two different directions and Ashlyn's learned the word no. 
And it's changed things, man. It's, it's made things real lively around the Mansfield house. And just the other day, we were getting ready to sit down and have family dinner, and I asked Ashlyn, she knows, Ashlyn, go get your cup for me. It's on the bed, and bring it back in here, your water cup. We're going to have dinner. No. No. Now, give me the word that represents what she just did. What did she do? Say it louder. You're not the one to say it. You can say it. Yeah, disobedience. Disobedience. But you know, there's been things in your life that the Spirit of God has said to you to walk in the path of godliness that He would have you to walk. And what'd you say? No. And we sidestep walking, living in the Spirit of God. So notice what Paul says. He talks about these things that are contrary. Notice as we conclude. So what is walking by the Spirit involved? Two things this morning. Walking by the Spirit requires me to stop giving in to my fleshly desires. Notice how Paul describes it. He said, there's a long list. Do you see that there in your Bible, verse 19 through 21? He's talking about the self-centered life. The life apart from Christ. And he says in verse 24 that those selfish desires, rather than giving in to them, verse 24, that those who belong to Christ Jesus, notice, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Man, can I tell you, that's hard, isn't it? Isn't it hard to to crucify the fleshly desires in our life? Can I ask you the question? Talk to me this morning. Why is it so hard to do that? Why is it so hard to say no to the sinful, fleshly desires in our life? Talk to me. What are some reasons? We don't want to what? Yeah, we don't believe that that's better for us. We think that we know better. And so I'd rather live my own life. What other reasons? Control. I'd rather than yield to the Spirit of God and be obedient. I'd rather chart my own course of life. What are some other pressures though? What are the other things that are calling for us? Pride. What else? Yeah. I mean, just think about some of the things in life that pull you in this way. The nature of my feelings. How many of your feelings have a way of pulling you in a certain direction? The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that appears right, but in the end leads to death. The desire of my flesh comes through the nature of my feelings, the influence of my culture. Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world. The pressures of friendship. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Why do I find myself being drawn to these fleshly desires? Because of the allurement of my idols. And there are things that I have made to be God in my life that are not God by any means, but I have elevated them to that place. Or even from the appearance of my circumstances. You know, many times in Scripture we see examples of circumstances that are completely contrary to the will of God. How many of you have thought about in times of life that you had an open door when actually in fact it was a trap door? (laughs) That's your hand. So your circumstances don't guide us. I'm not led by my culture. I'm not shaped by my friends. Those are the things that should not primarily lead me and guide me. 
Not even my own feelings, not even circumstances. Although I think circumstances are helpful to confirm the will of God, they, they never like reveal it. And yet some of us are just like playing fleece all the time with the Christian life. Just, just open your Bible. Just open your Bible and be led by the Spirit of God. Walk in the path that he has for you. You see, walking in the Spirit requires that I, notice what, I, I do not give in to these fleshly desires. But on the flip side, there's something I need to start doing. And I need to start yielding myself to the Spirit. To yield to Him. To yield to Him. Some of you are drivers quite like myself. And when you're driving down the road and the traffic light goes from green to yellow, you do what? Boom! I got 30 more, I got 20 more, I got two more seconds. You know, I'm just like, boom, I'm going to hit it. I'm going to hit it. You don't, but you know, the yellow light means to do what? Slow down so that you can do what? Yes, yeah, stop and yield to someone else. Some of us are just running too fast in our Christian life and we're not taking time to yield to the Spirit of God. We just rush ahead. And the Spirit of God wants you to walk in the path that God has laid out for you. Psalm 23, God leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God has a path that is laid out for each one of us as His followers, and there is a life of godliness on that path that He wants you to walk in, and that's why He's given us the Holy Spirit, because more than just the Word of God that is kind of like a map for life and telling me truths of what I need to understand, or even more than the conscience that is sinful that I have in this life that is some way like a compass for my life, God's done one better, and that is He's given us the Holy Spirit of God. He's given us Himself to be our guide for life, to lead us in this path of righteousness. But the question is, will you be led by the Spirit of God? Will you allow God to guide your life and lead you in a way to the path that He has for you? I'm going to end with one last verse, and it's found in Romans chapter 12. I know all of us could probably have memorized and said this. Notice what Paul says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice the next verse. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't take a sidestep walking contrary to the Spirit of God, but, but, but continue in that path that He has laid out for you in the path of godliness and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by what? Testing you may discern. What? What is the will of God? What is what? Good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, this is God's desire for you. And if you miss anything else in the message, certainly don't miss this. God's desire for your life is that you have his will to live the life he wants you to live. It is not, it is not crazy. I mean, it may feel like a crazy path at sometimes, but, but it, it, it is not a confusing path that God has given us. It's very simple. He's given us himself. He's given you, if you're a child of God, the Spirit of God, and that's what marks you as a child of His. That those who have the Spirit of God are, 
are the sons of God. And if I'm a son of God or a daughter of God, the, the evidence that I am is that he's given me his spirit and, and this is the path that he wants me to walk. He, he wants me to embrace this fruit that is lived out. You see, when the spirit of God is living in my life and doing things through my life, the fruit of the spirit will be evident in my life. Fruit is not hidden. Fruit is seen. People can see love and joy and peace in your life. They can see that the Spirit of God is in you and that He's with you and He's leading you in this path of righteousness for His name's sake. But the question is, will you keep in step with the Spirit of God? Will you realize that you are not the guide of your life, but He is? And will you simply step out of the way just a moment and yield to Him and allow God to lead you in the path He has established for you to walk. And a lot of us, we think the path of God for our life is like this narrow, you know? Like, if I miss just a step, man, I'm going to ruin the whole thing. I mean, God has a pretty... I mean, the, the path is narrow. Jesus said that. All right, don't mix metaphors here on me. But in life, in the path that God has for us, there's going to be a lot of decisions in your life. There's going to be a lot of right decisions and some wrong decisions. But that's why He's given us His wisdom. So being led by the Spirit of God is far more about godliness and the way that you're living your life more than it is having this divine cell phone to make every minute decision in your life. All right? I'm thankful God's given us prayer. I'm thankful we can live a life moment by moment dependent on Him. But if we're following the guide, I mean, if we're walking in the path that He's laid for us, then God's going to direct your path. Just trust Him in that. Just trust Him. Just trust that God can chart a much better path for your life than you can because the Bible says God only does His will is only what is good. He's never going to lead you to something that's not good. It'll always be acceptable. It'll be right, and it will be perfect. So trust Him. Trust Him. Father, we thank You this morning that You've given us Your Spirit as our guide. Thank You that You've called us out of slavery, out of bondage, out of a life that is so weighed down by guilt and shame. Thank you that, God, your spirit has raised us up and given us a new heart with a new mind and a new will and new affections. Thank you that you've, you've already established the path for us to walk and you tell us that your word is a, is a light to that path. I pray that, Lord, we would immerse ourselves in your word, that we would so clearly hear your voice that we would just follow your spirit, that, Lord, it would... It would be evident, not just in what we think about on a Sunday morning, but God, in our life, in our business dealings, in the way that we love our spouse, in the way that we discipline our children, in the way that we build our friendships, God, in the way that we lead our business, that, Lord, it would be so evident that we are walking in the Spirit of God because the fruit of the Spirit is alive in our life. I pray for those that are here this morning, and they so clearly know what you are wanting them to take a step in. Lord, I pray that, that you would bring us to a point of repentance. We know that's where your spirit leads us, is to repentance. 
And then you lead us in humility. You lead us by faith to take a step in obedience to what you want us to become. So Lord, I pray for each person here this morning that you would help them, God, as they make choices this week that are going to have a profound impact on shaping the rest of their life. We know that you love us. We thank you that everything you do is good and acceptable and perfect. And we praise you this morning for all of it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.